Today, our lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark. It comes in a section of a, about a little bit less than three chapters where Jesus is particularly challenging his disciples to think about what it means to follow him. And in th this section, he shares with them that he is going to be crucified and then he will be resurrected. And he's trying to get them and he's trying to get us to think about what it means to follow Jesus. Just prior to our lesson, Jesus tells his disciples and us that we must receive the kingdom of God as little children. And in our lesson today, we meet a man, a rich young ruler, we're going to call him, because in Mark's gospel, he's a rich man, and in Luke's gospel, he's a ruler, and then in Matthew's gospel, he's young. So he's, he's going to be all of those things for us today. So as we prepare to read God's word, let us join together in prayer, seeking God's illuminating grace. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter, verses 17 through 22. As he, that is Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you know the name Jack Benny? I bet you many of you do. Jack Benny was a comedian and one of the big stars of radio and early television. And for more than 40 years, beginning in 1923, or I'm sorry, 1932, Benny played a caricature of himself, a, a minimally talented musician and a world-class scapegoat, or uh, uh, cheapskate, excuse me. And he was always, it seemed, the butt of the jokes. In one of his better-known skits, Jack Benny is approached by an armed rob uh, robber who yells at him, stick him up, your money or your life. Benny says nothing. And the, the gunman says, what's taking you so long? And of course, Benny replies, don't rush me. I'm thinking. Who knew it was such a hard question, right? Your money or your life? 
But we know, we really know that balancing the reality of money and life and faith can be a real challenge. How we understand our money and our possessions has a lot to do with our lives of faith. As our lesson begins, Jesus and his disciples are on the road again, and they break out in song. On the road again, we can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. Oh, I can't wait to get on the road again. On the road again, going places that I've never been seeing things I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. Now, you didn't think the disciples were singing? I'm sure if we read a little bit closer, Mark, we would find that in Mark's gospel. But Jesus, as they are walking and singing along on the road towards Jerusalem, Jesus is engaging with his disciples in a conversation about true discipleship and his forthcoming crucifixion and resurrection. However, the disciples are struggling students. They don't get what he's talking about. They're having real trouble grasping the concept. He has told them that all who wish to enter the kingdom of God come as little children all we must do is come to jesus with nothing and with total dependence upon him and as they walk along a man someone who is the opposite of a helpless little child runs up to jesus we're not told at first about the man's wealth but the man's affluence would have been easily seen the quality of the man's clothing and his labored breaths as he runs up to Jesus was a, of a man who is, had uh, never really worked that hard in his life. They revealed his status. The man had great wealth, great possessions and power and prestige. But his actions are scandalous. What's so scandalous, you say? Well, first... The man is running. Now, we might not think that's very scandalous. We see everybody in our neighborhoods, and as we're driving down the roads, people seem to be running everywhere. And then, of course, our, I don't know if you have friends like mine, but they want to tell me how far they've run on Facebook. And, and of course, it's really a little depressing when I'm not running myself. But our culture is so used to, to running that we don't see that it would be a, a scandalous thing in Jesus' time. The rich man is acting like a child, oblivious to social norms as he runs up to Jesus and as he kneels at Jesus' feet. It seems like a good sign, actually, in light of Jesus telling his disciples about the need to to receive the kingdom of God as a little child. But this man has heard Jesus' teaching, and he's impressed by what Jesus has taught. And he's eager to see Jesus again, and he might not have the opportunity to talk with this man 
who has taught like no one ever has taught before. And the man has a question, an important question. He's anxious to get it answered. And he's come full of hope to Jesus' feet to, to, this, to talk to this prophet that he thinks is a, a man of God. And Jesus readily identifies with this rich, young man. I mean, Jesus himself is about 30, not that old. And yes, Jesus too is rich. Oh, how rich he is. He's far richer than this young man could possibly imagine. As the Son of God, Jesus has lived all of eternity in the glory and in the wealth, in the love and in the fellowship of the Father. And he will, he, he will tell and ask this young man to do something. And this thing that he will ask this young man to do, Jesus has already done. In fact, he's on the way to Jerusalem to give all that he can give his life as a ransom for many. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says it this way, For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. As the man kneels at Jesus' feet, he breathlessly asks, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an astounding tribute. But a Jewish person in Jesus' time only referred to God as good, not one another. Only God is good in the absolute sense of the word. And Jesus tells this man of his second faux pas, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Yet Jesus answers this man's supremely important question, one that is one of the most important questions in Scripture, and certainly one for all humanity. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In the Bible, the gift of the life of God is called eternal life. It's also called treasure in heaven, or entering the kingdom of God. Of course, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a member of God's kingdom. It must be received by faith in God. And as we have said before, it is something that we do not earn, but we gain only as gift when we trust and we rely upon Jesus. But the man reveals through his question that he thinks that it's something that he can do. What must I do, he says, to inherit eternal life? The man needs a change of theology and of heart. You see, our faith is not about what we do. Rather, it is first about what someone else has done for you and for me. 
And then, only then, is it a grace-inspired response that we make by the grace of God. We can't achieve eternal life. We receive it. And the man's starting point is all wrong. And so can be ours. It's wrong because he thought it was all about himself, what he did. What must I do, he said. He comes to Jesus because he sees a hope in another good man in Jesus to answer these lingering questions that he has wondered in his life. But Jesus forces the man to look towards God for any hope of goodness and eternal life. And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And then Jesus recites commandment 5 through 10. The man is encouraged as Jesus begins to say, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, you shall honor your father and your mother. The man is encouraged because as Jesus begins, Jesus rattles off what was often called the second table of the commandments, those that talk about our relationships with our neighbor. It is in these commandments that the young man begins to think, yes, yes, I got this. Teacher, I have kept all those things since my youth. The rich young man no longer calls Jesus good teacher. He's making some progress. Instead, he addresses him only as teacher. However, the man has missed the most important of Jesus' points. While it may be well and true that the man has honored and obeyed all those things, all those commandments since his youth, he has done it in an external sense, the same way that the Apostle Paul did it. As Apostle Paul talks about that he was faultless, before the demands of the law. It's more of a to-do list, a, a checklist, instead of a matter of the heart. What Mark reports next is one of the most touching phrases that I believe is in Scripture. Jesus looked at the man, looked at him, and loved him. The man's sincerity, his eagerness, moves Jesus' heart because the man is so close, so close to the kingdom, so very close. Jesus says, you lack one thing. Go, sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus' statement is a good reminder that what we do does matter. For the rich man, his failure to do the one thing that would demonstrate his faith in Jesus, though, reveals his heart. He doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. 
And what follows is one of the most tragic verses in Scripture. Verse 22, when he heard this, he was shocked. And he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Mark reports not another word between Jesus and the man. The man isn't running. He seems to be staggering away. He can hardly stand. The answers to the rich man's question requires him to surrender who he is. The man's identity and his life are, are tied up in his possessions. These things are at the center of who he is and his identity. And Jesus tells the man that God and God alone must be first in his life and in ours. It's the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. No one and nothing should stand between us and God. The particular demand that Jesus places on this man, I believe, is specific to this rich young ruler because, you see, his possessions occupied the place that was number one in his life. But yes, it can also be the same for you and for me. For the man, his possessions were his idol. They were his God. Now Jesus, Jesus wants to know what is first in our lives. What's keeping us from becoming like small children, vulnerable children before our God? What is keeping us, sisters and brothers, from trusting God completely? You see, Jesus offered himself to the man, sell all your possessions and come and follow me. But Jesus offers himself to you and me as well. But will we receive him? Will we welcome him into our lives? Or will we continue to welcome him more fully into our lives? If not, what is getting in the way? You see, the man asked the right questions. How do I inherit eternal life? He received the right answer. Honor God and follow Jesus in complete trust like a little child. But he wouldn't lean in. He wouldn't trust. He refused to walk with Jesus because his identity, who he was, was tied up in everything that he owned. What is that the center of your identity? Who are you? Are you first and foremost a child of God? What do you desire more than anything? Is it to walk with Jesus? These are questions that you and I must answer. We must be accountable 
to Jesus, our Lord and our Creator. After the man walks away, Jesus tells his disciples, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. But then he says, but with God, all things are possible. If we want Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have to replace what we have previously called our Lord. Those things that want to control and and run our lives. Coming to Jesus with respect and humility was a great, great first step for the man. But it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't sufficient for God's kingdom and for eternal life. So sisters and brothers, let's us, let us, me and you, do whatever we can to seek God's help to eliminate the barriers that keep us from trusting in Jesus more and more and from loving and, and giving of ourselves to Jesus and to the world that he loves so dearly. The quest for eternal life is found in following Jesus and in him alone and putting our trust in him like a little child. Because, you see, nothing is impossible for God. May all God's people say, Amen.